to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. Beginning in verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could move mountains or remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I even thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Father, very well known passage, oftentimes spoken at whether it be weddings, sometimes even at funerals. Sometimes in a celebration or a momentous event or or time in someone's life, help us to understand your passage today. As we are now in our fourth message, I believe, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we pray, Lord, that you would shed light on this area of Scripture that we're going to be looking at this day. We offer this time into your hands. Now, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Yeah, and so what we have here is Paul writing to the Corinthians. And we have, uh, for to set the platform, you know, as we have talked Uh, In the past, what we understand 1 Corinthians 13 doing, Paul is talking about how all things that we do, all things that we uh, should be accomplished in the church, there, especially in in Corinth, uh, Corinth was doing a lot of good things, but they were also allowing a lot of bad things into the church. And, And Paul was basically writing... 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this area of scripture to say, you know, everything that we should do, it should all come and be launched from the platform of love. 
And if you don't know what love is, well, let me tell you what love is. And then he goes on his little uh, description and his definition of what love is from verse 4 through verse 8. And so as he looks at what love is, and he uses the word love uh, in the proper form. Uh, you know that we've talked about how the four different types of love in the Greek, you know, is, you know, storge, which is family love, you know, phileo, which is brotherly love, or eros, which is, you know, sensual love. And, and then that final form of love is agapeo love, agape love, or agapeo love, which literally means a condition, an unconditional love, a love that is sacrificial. A love that holds no conditions and holds no record of wrongs. And that's what Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8. He's saying, this is what that type of love looks like. And so when we live our lives as Christians, this is what our decisions should be made, made and based upon. This Every time we get into a conflict, this should be where we are launching from. This should be the very platform that we fix our feet upon as we're in that debate. As we do talk to, you know, the people, and especially today, even as I shared in the time of worship, that we have a a wonderful window of opportunity to truly be children of God. In our country right now, that uh, I know that that uh, one side is piling on the other since the... Uh, the, you know, the, the, the presidential election has been uh, completed over the last couple of weeks. They're still holding out hope. You know, some are still holding out hope that they can switch this thing and, and, and get someone else in the office. But, you know, uh, so there's a little glimmer of hope for some. But here's the thing. There's such division in our country. It's not right now United States of America. It's kind of a divided States of America. And so in as much as I don't want to get so politically into this today, the, the point is we are in a divided and a divisive state right now. But you see, much of these things, and I, I will just appeal to you on this just for a second. Whether you be on one side of the fence or the other, whether you're on the Republican side where you're kind of going, hey, get over it, quit sniffling, quit crying, quit throwing your temper tantrums. Or if you're on the other side and you are sniffling and crying and, and, and you're not accepting what the American people have, have, have you know, stated. And, and you look at that and you've kind of got these two you know, groups lobbing bombs back and forth. Well, here's the thing. Paul's saying, in the church, is that the proper manner, is that the proper means by which we... Do we lob bombs at people? Do we really lob bombs at people? Verbal bombs. Uh, you know, what should we do in a time like that? Well, Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians 13, everything you say should be launched from the platform of love. And, and so here's the thing. It's patient and it's kind. Now, as a Christian... I'm called to be, you are called to be as Christians, to be patient, long-suffering. You and I are called to be kind. Kind. Here's the thing. Our whole, what is the Great Commission? We know what the Great Commission is. Right? We know what the Great Commission is. Go into all the world and preach what? The gospel. Right? The good news. The good news. 
of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he died on a cross. He rose again from the dead. Providing the only way for man to be saved. And so when we consider that, there's a reason why Jesus laid his life down. That agape love, he loved mankind, he loved all mankind. He loved us so much that he was willing to lay his life down. Not just willing, but he actually did it. He laid his life down for us. So that we would not have to suffer an eternity separated from God. You see, it wasn't the present and the here and the now that he was always focused on, though he did focus a little bit on the here and now. He, he, you know, he said, hey, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you might have life and that more abundantly. He wasn't just necessarily talking about an abundant life in heaven. He was in context speaking about the life and abundant life that we can have today. Living on a day-by-day basis as a Christian. And so here he's saying the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy that aspect of your life, but I came that you might have life today. That you'd be able to live off of the platform of love if you look to me. If you look at what I've done for you and you have accepted what I, God, became a man, died, rose again, death couldn't defeat me, I paid for your sins, the only way for you to go to heaven if you accept it, if you receive it. To them who received him, he gave the right to become the sons of God, even to them who believed on his name. And so he gave you and I a right if we believed on his name and his sacrifice. And so here's the good news. We are to take that in love, in agape love, and present it to the world. To present it to the world. And I know that it's, you know, the wounds are very, you know, new and, and, and are, you know, very uh, uh, sensitive right now here in our country. But here's the thing. As the church, how are we responding in such a time? Are we joining in one side or the other? Piling on the other? No, we shouldn't be. What we should be doing is look beyond just who it is that we have in office today and look at who's going to be in office forever who always will be on the, on the throne, who never will be, you know, unseated. We are to be living our lives for one. And so here's the thing. It doesn't mean that we can't have healthy debate. But make sure that your healthy debate carries with it love. Because you're a Christian. You, I, we are representing Jesus Christ to the world. And you might, you know, look and go, well, they deserve it. Be careful. Be careful. Every single one of us deserve hell and separation from God for all eternity. But God loved you and I so much that he, he gave and made a way for us to not have to, to go down that road and suffer that eternal consequence. There's nothing in you or me that ever prompted God to give that love and demonstrate that love towards us. His love was self, uh, 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 
engineered, if you will. He's the one who came to this conclusion that I love you so much. I love these people so much. Can you look at it through the eyes of Christ? In, in this, this day and age right now where we're having such a hard time, even in our own country, can you look at the other side and look at them and say, you know what, it was for them that Christ died. I don't care how they're acting. I don't care what they're, who they're looking to for, for salvation. Here's the thing. They're looking in the wrong direction. And out of love, I need to reach them. There is so much fear out there right now. And there's, a, there's this, this, this fear of, of this guy is going to do this and he's going to take us back into and all of these different you know, fears that are out there. And it's causing such an anxiety upon the face of this planet right now, not just even in the United States, but across the globe. How should we as the church rise up in this time? It's an opportunity. Let's not miss our opportunity. Let's be Christ to these people in a mode of love. And so here that means that when, when someone you know, sends something to you email-wise or maybe sends something to you Facebook-wise and it really is trashing down on the other side from whichever persuasion you are, you might want to really... Before you pass anything on, before you make a comment that affirms your heart towards this trashing down, before you do anything, pray and say, Lord, is this, being your servant, is this really what you want me to do right now? Lord, is this lovely? Is this loving? Am I being you? Is this what you would say? And don't get high and mighty on that. Oh yeah, the Lord hates those guys. No, 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 no. The Lord doesn't hate those people. The Lord loves people. He died for them. He loves them. He's passionate about them. He wants to see them in heaven. He knows that Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump, is neither one of them are going to save any of those people. He is the only one that can save mankind. He says, so here's the thing. I want you to, to launch your life from the platform of love. I want you to operate. I don't want you to parade yourself. I don't want you to be proud. I don't want you to sit there and go around and, and, and be unkind towards people. I don't want you to be puffed up. I don't want you to look down because you guys, are, you know, your party won that, that you go and slam down. No, 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 no. Let's use this opportunity to present Christ and Him crucified. We have a great open window right now. That's just what's happening in the United States and in our world today. There were many things like this happening back in the days of Corinth where Paul was writing. But you see, nothing is new under the sun. Nothing's new under the sun. The point of the matter is, is that Paul says, he says, listen, there's only one thing that I really have got to make sure that I take account of. And that's this. I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's it. He didn't say, hey man, somebody is going into, to, uh, you know, uh, there's a candidate against Caesar Nero. I'm going to really battle for him. It, do you find it kind of odd that the Word of God doesn't really get very politically motivated? 
that it doesn't really come down hard even on the, on the Caesars. Now, mind you, you might think that our you know, present political system that we have here today, I said I wasn't going to be political, here I am. You know? Here's the thing. We might look at the, at the current president or the incoming president and we might look at them and go, wow, that's like Satan incarnate. Listen, last I saw, neither one of them were killing Christians, dipping them in, in tar, and then impaling them in a courtyard, jumping around, getting naked, getting on his chariot, as Caesar Nero did, and lit the Christians on fire, and as they're lighting his courtyard, he goes, yes, you are truly the light of the world. I don't see any of our presidents doing that right now. Now, mind you, this is the same leader of the known world at the time that Paul is talking. Could Paul not be really coming down on Caesar Nero? Could he not be really battling against what Caesar Nero stood for? Paul says, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Their gang is what our call is. Let's not lose focus because right now the enemy would love to do nothing more than to get us off track because he knows that the window of opportunity is great. When you see someone on either side of the aisle sitting there going, I, I'm, I'm a little concerned of this new president or I really hate this new president. He's not my president. Say, you know what, here's the thing. I don't totally know all about that, but here's one thing I do know. No man or woman is really where my eyes should ever be. Let me tell you something about, about the Lord that I serve. Let me tell you a little bit about what this history book talks to me about. It's called the Bible. It's about God loving you so much that he came and he died in your place. He sacrificed himself to give you an opportunity, to give you a gift of eternal life. He did it in spite of you. He did it in spite of your sin. He wants to give you eternal life. Where there will be a a king on the throne that never, ever, ever will be supplanted. And he will rule and reign from the platform of love. And that's where his kids should be ruling and reigning from. That's where his kids should be launching themselves into this world from that platform, from the platform of love. So gang, be careful. Be careful. But instead of just being careful, let's go on the offensive, man. Let's go out there and tell them about Jesus because here's the thing. People are looking for somebody to give them some hope and some surety. The only one that can truly give true hope and true surety is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's why Paul says, listen, I'm not hammering down on Caesar Nero. Here's what it is. Do you think that Paul, because he, he was silent on Caesar Nero, that in his silence he was, in all actuality, approving of the life that Caesar Nero lived? Absolutely not. I don't believe that for one second. I believe that Paul understood what our focus should be as Christians. Back then, as much as, he, as our focus should be, even this day, it should be on the lost world that is sprinting towards hell. And, and, and God has called us to go and kind of head them off at the pass and give them an opportunity for another path. Because that cliff is coming. And once they jump off that cliff of life, it, there's, no, there's, no, there's no safety. 
There's no safety net. There is no turning back. It is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. We don't pray him out of some imaginary place called purgatory. There is no such place. Once you die, once I die, once we die, it's over. Once those on the other side of the aisle, they die, it's over. If they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, they're gone. And they've made their decision. And so what we've got to do in love, as Christ did, as Paul has demonstrated, two times in 1 Corinthians, we've seen Paul say, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. He said, listen, do you want to know what it looks like to, to, to imitate Christ, to, to be like Christ? Do what I do. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's a bold statement for a man to say. How many of us can say, hey, you want to know, my friends, how to follow, what, what it looks like to follow Christ? Just do what I do on a day-by-day basis. Now, is that proud or a pride coming out of Paul? No, I don't think so. I think that he, had, he was fixed. His vision was fixed. His path was fixed. He knew what his job was. He knew what his plan and his purpose was upon the face of this earth. And he was not going to get sidetracked by a political figure. Gang, we must not get sidetracked by a political figure. We must keep our eyes focused on Christ, who is the true giver of life. He's the true giver of life. And he has given you and he has given me. He's given us the plan of salvation to, to, to spread to the world, to love the world the way that he wants to love the world. He, he, Paul talks about this. He says, listen, love is never going to fail. Love is, love is never going to fade away. Love is always going to be the platform that we live on. Love is always going to be the platform by which we exist. Don't think it's just for now. Don't just think it's just for the here and the now and the present. Church in Corinth. Church in the United States of America in 2016. It's not just for us today. That when Christ comes back, no more are we going to have to be under this bondage of love. (laughs) No longer are we going to have to be under the shadow of love. That's all going to be done away with. No, Paul's going, no, love is never going to fail. Love is never going to go away. In fact, prophecy, that's going to cease. That's going to be done away with. That's what he says there in verse 8, doesn't he? Whether there are prophecies, they're going to fail. Whether there are tongues, they shall cease. And whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. But love doesn't fail. Love is not going not, love's not to vanish away. Love is not going to cease. We're going to be living for the rest of eternity from the platform of love. So let's get used to it and let's operate in it today. That's what Paul's saying. That's what 1 Corinthians is all about. It's to get us understanding that love is who Christ is to the world. And now go and be love to the world. Go and share what true love is. What true love is. Now, I would be remiss, and I told you I would get into this this week. 
whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. And so here is an area of Scripture that many will use to say, well, the gifts of the Spirit, certain gifts of the Spirit were operable in a certain time and season for the church. It was necessary in order to establish the church. But once that which is perfect has come, it's no longer needed. It said here, we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect, verse 10, has come, then that which is in part will be done away. What is it referencing? Well, some will say that the perfect, that which is perfect, there are those that believe that perfect literally means it's the completion of Scripture. There are those that will teach that it's the completion of Scripture. Once we have the completion of Scripture, then we don't need these other things because now we have the Word of God. But that's not necessarily the case because we're going to see signs and gifts being operated even in the tribulation period. We're going to see that. So it's not going to cease. So that doesn't make sense there. So, the, so it can't be that once we have the word of God and it's perfect, that these things are no longer going to be needed. What is not going to be needed? Prophecy, tongues, and knowledge. And lest, we, lest I misrepresent this passage, prophecy is the Greek word prophetia, which means the foretelling of future events or acting as an ambassador of God, interpreting his mind and his will, will, interpreting his mind and his will, or foretelling of God's plans. That's a prophetic word. When I get up and I teach, there is a gift, even at this moment, a gift of prophecy for what is going on, is that hopefully and prayerfully, I'm foretelling to you, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm telling God's will, His mind for our lives. That's a prophetic word. There's a prophetic word of future events, sure. Do I know what's going to happen in the future? No, I'm not speaking in that avenue of prophecy. doesn't mean that I can't say something like that and it actually happens. But I don't know that it's happening. Does it mean that because, uh, uh, you know, if, if I were to, 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 to say, you know, uh, you know, well, I'll say that here in just a second. Um, because I'm operating in this gift of what I believe is prophecy, the true definition of prophecy, every teacher, I believe, that gets up and speaks God's word and shares what God's word means and how we appropriate God's word to our lives in order that we live out his will and his plans for our lives. That is a foretelling or a forthtelling of God's word, of God's plans, of God's mind, of his will. That's, that's, the, that's the gift of prophecy. It's not just telling, hey, you know, the, the, the rapture of the church, you know, or, or the, the tribulation period, or the millennial age, or the new heavens and the new earth that we read in the book of Revelation, in the book of Daniel, in the book of Matthew, you know, book of second, first and second Thessalonians. As we look at these, these things, those are prophetic words, 
of future telling, of, of future events. But it's also a form of foretelling God's mind and his will. And so I would, I would question some of these pastors that, and, and teachers and expositors of the word out there. Has that stopped when that which is perfect has come? When that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part, what we prophesy in part, what we teach in part, what we, what we, uh, what we know in part, and what we prophesy in part, when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. If, if it's the Word of God, then prophecy and tongues and knowledge will be done away with. Let me define these three words. Prophecy, I've already talked to you about that. Tongues, in the Greek word is glossa. Glossa. It literally means an organ. Uh, the organ of the tongue. But it also refers to dialects of that, that, are, that are known or unknown. Dialects. It's a language. And so Paul, he says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, Paul takes, a, a, he, he, he says that there are tongues that men speak. Now I'm going to take it a little bit more modern here so that we can understand that. There, there's, there's men will speak French, they'll speak German, they'll speak English, they'll speak Russian. Those are all dialects of men. Though I speak in those tongues but also though I speak in the tongues of angels. Now, I have never seen an angelic dictionary or an angelic you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, study on angelic words because we don't know them. And so Paul says, I'll speak in the known tongues of men or in the unknown tongues of angels. Though I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love. That's what he says, right? There in verse 1 of this chapter. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. So he's saying tongues is a good thing, but tongues isn't what it's all about. Tongues is not, is, is not you know, the end-all, be-all gift of the Spirit. It is a gift. It is a gift. And it's an opportunity to be used. The expositors say, well, those tongues, they will be done away with. The gift of using those tongues. Uh, the, the, the third would be the knowledge. And, and let me, to be fair, those expositors that say tongues will, will cease, what, what they say is that no man who doesn't know an unknown tongue, whether it be an angelic tongue or whether it be a known, a known tongue in the world, but unknown to the person who's using it. You know, there are those expositors out there that say, listen, though I don't speak French, a gift would be if I spoke a perfect dialect dialect of of a certain aspect of french maybe uh, of of a certain area 
in France. And, I, and, and I'm exercising that gift. And it just so happens to be that as I'm talking to a person, that person is from a certain portion of France that speaks only that dialect. And, and that's what some of these expositors are saying, is that, that, that's, that's not, that gift isn't working today. That doesn't work. That's, it's ceased. It's done. Nobody does that anymore. Nobody does that anymore. Well, there are way too many examples of that happening in the world that you, you, you either have got to say they're lying or it's just a miracle. Well, that's what a gift is. It's a miracle. It's a miracle from the Lord. Knowledge. Knowledge is gnosis, which means to know with experience. A clear and an exact knowledge. Those who call themselves, you know, agnostics. The A is the negative form, saying not, like atheism, atheism. Theism means God. Atheism, atheism is no God. There is no God. Agnostic, Gnosticism is, well, we know that there is a God. Agnosticism is, we can't know that there's a God. And so I'm agnostic. I'm not, but I'm saying that someone might say, I'm, I'm an agnostic. And so they're saying, I don't believe we can ever know that there really is a God. And the operative word is no. Is no. And, and so here's the thing. To know with experience, or to know a clear and exact knowledge... You know, if I'm up here and I'm teaching and I say, you know, let's use, you know, a, 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 just the example of, you know, let's say that, that uh, you went to Der Dutchman this last week. And as you were at Der Dutchman, you know, here's a person, he's gone to New Der Dutchman or they've gone to Der Dutchman and they've parked and, and as they were pulling into a parking place and uh, maybe a, an elderly couple was trying to pull into the same parking place and, and you had a choice to make. And I'm just using it as an illustration. It's at that moment that as you're pulling into the same parking place, you have a choice to make. Hey, am I hungrier than I am willing to be kind? Because I can get in there a whole lot faster than they can. And I want to get behind them because they're going to be slow. So here's the thing. Can I get into that and, and just act like I didn't see them? Or do I go, oh, hey, you know what? I see you guys. You don't need to be walking as far as I, I have the ability to walk. And so here's the thing. You back up and say, hey, go ahead and go on in. Go ahead and go on in. And you let them in. And you know what? Something just happens inside you when you do things like that, doesn't it? And now something as simple as that. Just talking about, you know, doing the right thing. And then someone comes after the service and comes and says, were you there in the parking lot when that happened? What are you talking about? No, this, just this last week, it was on Wednesday. I was pulling into the Dutchman and I was by myself. I was meeting some people there. I'm pulling in and this older, elderly couple coming in and we kind of were going at the same parking place and that was the exact thought that was going through my head. Wait a minute, I can get in there, I can go in, I can get my seat faster because I am visiting somebody and I'm meeting somebody and I am kind of in a hurry. But you know what? 
the right thing was to look at them and see, hey, they don't need to walk as far as I do. And so I backed out and I waved them in and they went in. I felt so good doing that. I just felt like I was doing something that Christ called me to do. How'd you know? Were you there? That's a word of knowledge. I didn't know I'm using it. But that happens. It happens in, in, in Scripture. It happens in life. How do you know? Well, it's just a coincidence, some would say. Or it's not a coincidence. And God is reiterating to that person that is in this service, going, I saw what you did. And child, I am so pleased. I'm reiterating to you right now that I put it through this pastor's mouth to let you know that I approve of what you did. I watched what you did. Good job. Well done, child. Well done, kid. Well done, my, my son. Well done, my daughter. It's a word of knowledge. Just how it works. And there are those that say, well, when that which is perfect is come, well, that's not going to be working anymore. I think that just doesn't make any sense. And so there are others that will come in and say, well, when that which is perfect has come, they're going to say, well, that's the rapture of the church. So when the rapture of the church comes, then those things won't be necessary anymore, which I've already stated, you know, in the tribulation period, gifts are going to be operated. Uh, it's stated in Scripture. And so here's the thing. That's, that, that's not even appropriate here. Maybe it's the second coming of Christ in the millennium. You know, during that thousand year reign, when Jesus is ruling and reigning upon the face of the earth, then we're not going to need to do any of those things. Well, no, I don't see that as being accurate in Scripture either. And so then there are those that, that, will, that just do not like the gifts of the Spirit being operated in the church. They say, well, it's obvious, and I agree with them, when we enter our eternal state in heaven, there is not going to be a need for prophecy or knowledge or tongues. Because we're, we're going to be, as Paul just said here, when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. He's saying, right now, we're likened under kids. We're likened unto being children where we don't know the whole story. How many times has it been that you've tried to that, that you've made a decision and your kids will go, why you do, why? Well, you just aren't going to understand all of the reasons why I'm saying no, you can't do this, or why we're going to do this, or why we're not going to go there, or what have you. But why? 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 Well, because you know what? We don't have the money. Why? Well, because we we it, we could use our money better elsewhere. Why? And, and, and it's just why, 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 why? To a point where you go, you know what? We just decided that it's, we're not going to do it. Don't ask why again. Because here's the thing. You're not being able to completely comprehend all the whys. All the answers to your whys. You can't comprehend it all. But there's coming a day when you're going to be an adult and all of a sudden, isn't it weird how all of us, because I'm looking in here, we're pretty much all adults here in this room. We are. And so here's the thing. Wasn't it weird when you realized, when you got to a certain age, where all of a sudden, the things that your parents used to say to you, you actually are saying at times, and you go, hey, you know what? They weren't as stupid as I thought they were. They kind of knew what they were talking about because I'm having to do this with my own kids now. I now understand all those why questions. 
I just didn't understand. I never would have understood because I was so self-focused. And that's what Paul's saying. Hey, as a child, we're living in that age right now where we can't completely and totally comprehend all that stuff. But one day we're going to be an adult and we're going to know these things. Why do I say that that's the context of what's saying? Because look at what it says in the very next verse. It, it supports that understanding of that scripture. He says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part that connects it to everything that just came back, came in front of it. We're talking about that which we know in part will be done away with when that which is perfect has come. This is tying this whole passage together. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. And now abide, faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And so here's what he's saying. There's coming a day that, that I'm going to be an adult and I'm going to understand these things. He says there in verse 12, he says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Understand when Paul wrote this, they didn't have the kind of mirrors that we have today. They didn't have the glass mirrors with the silver on the back where you have this really perfect looking, you know, you know reflection of yourself. What they had back in that time was a polished, a rubbed, polished iron or metal. And so, can you imagine, you know, taking, you know, some piece of steel or iron and rubbing it 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 it down to a point, not with all the chemicals that we have today that can actually brighten it up to make it look nice and silvery, but... Rubbing it and rubbing it, rubbing it to where there's a reflection in there, but it's dark. It's dark. It's dark brown. Or it's black. And you look in there and, and you, you, can, you can see what your hair looks like. You can see, you know, what's going on. But mirrors didn't even come into existence. The silver mirrors that we have today didn't even come into place on the black of glass until the dark ages. When the word of God was taken away from people. That's why it's called the dark ages. And so here these guys are, when they hear mirror, they go, oh, one of those metal pieces, those things that are metal and you look in and you don't really see yourself. It'd be kind of like this, you know? It'd be like this. You can kind of see yourself in it, but it's not even going to be this shiny because they didn't have glass. And so you're looking at yourself and you're going, well, I can see myself dimly in here. Have you got a big zit in your nose? Do you think you're going to be able to see it? You aren't in this. Sorry. You aren't going to be able to see it in this. But when you have a mirror of today's type of a mirror, you're able to see very clearly. Paul says, listen, right now, we understand what mirrors are. When we look into a mirror, we only see our reflection very dimly, darkly. It's dark. In fact, the word dark, darkly, is the word enigma. Enigma in the Greek. Where do you, what word do you think that we get in our English language from that word? Enigma. Enigma. E-N-I-G-N. Okay, you spell it out. Enigma. Enigma. You know what enigma is? It's obscure. I can't totally understand. I don't totally understand. I got this little, you know, it, 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 
it's funny to guys, not always to the gals, but you know, it shows this book that's about this tall, about from here up to here, and it's really, really, really fine pages. And the cover is turned over up here, and all these pages are in here. And the caption is, uh, "The book on how to understand women has finally come out." You know, and <laughs> and how can you understand a woman? Well, I don't know. It's an enigma. It's hard. It's hard to understand at times. I, my wife and I, we joke around about that. Honey, but you said this last week. I know, but I don't feel like that this week. You've got to tell me when the rules change. I don't understand it. What page was that on in this book? You know, That's an enigma. I can't completely and totally understand. Now, listen, guys, we've got our problems too. I guarantee if I had a woman up here, she'd be handing it back to us tenfold. The point is, enigma is something that is it's kind of a mystery. It's kind of hard to understand. It's something that is obscure. And that's what Paul says. Right now we see in a mirror with obscurity. We don't totally understand. When I, in, in worship, when I said, man, one day we're going to see the Lord face to face. One day we're going to be in heaven. That day is going to be an awesome day. How many, of, how many of us really, truly understand what that day is going to be like? One of the reasons why I think that that song so resonated with people, that, that uh, song from, uh, who's the band? I can't remember. Uh, I can only imagine. What's their name? Mercy Me. Mercy Me. Bart Millard, who's actually a, 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 is that his name, Bart Millard? He's like... A, he lives like down the block from Tim Romero. I don't know if you know that. It's kind of weird. Say, Tim, do you go down there and like listen to him sing? No. Dummy, I'd do it. No, here's the thing. I can only imagine what it will be like. Yes, I'm racing in my mind trying to remember what all of those words are. But, but, you know, will I fall at my knees? Will I dance? What will I do? I don't know. I can only imagine what that day will be like, but I don't really know. That's, I think, why it resonated so much with us is because we can't really truly know what, he's, what they're singing about is that we see in a mirror dimly, but then... We're going to know face to face one day. We're going to grow up as an adult one day. What we see through and what we understand as a child, as a child would understand things, one day we're going to understand as adult understands. One day we're going to understand as perfection. And then there will be no need for prophecy and tongues and knowledge. Because we're not going to need those things. Because we're going to know. We're going to see clearly on that day. But until that day comes, these things will remain. And I thank God that these things are going to still remain. And so there are those that will look at this and, and, uh, and, and say, well, here's the thing. They say, and I've got to hurry, but it says, whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. When they talk about prophecies and knowledge, they use one word. Katergeo in the Greek, but when they use tongues, they use a whole different word, pao, P-A-U-O, P-A-U-O. See, because he used two different words, he means that 
There's coming a time when tongues will not, because he used a different word, he's going to, tongues are going to cease, but prophecies and knowledge, and that's how some of these guys will get around it. There's a lot of great scholars out there that actually will, will, will look at that. And I'm going, the one thing that I have a problem with these scholars is that they, everything that they've ever taught me is they take things in context. When the literal sense makes perfect sense, make no other sense lest you make what? Nonsense. Don't take things out because you don't see how they can work in today's, today's day and age. There's not one of those guys out there that, that really truly believes that if God wanted to give to any single one of us the ability to speak in a different tongue in order to present the gospel to someone, that if it happened, none of them would go, yeah, that wasn't true. They'd all go, wow, that was a miracle. I mean, that's God. Well, that's a gift. That's something that God gives. And so it's in that that all of this said, let me just suffice it to say, I am of the position and of the, uh, of the persuasion that every gift that we see in the Word of God is still appropriate for today. I do believe it. I believe, that in, I believe in tongues. Yes, I do. Do I believe in knowledge? Yep. Do I believe in prophecy? Yep. Do I believe in gifts of administration? Yep. Do I believe in every gift that we see that God grants through His Holy Spirit upon mankind in order to fulfill the role that God has called each and every one of us to live? Yes, I believe in every single one of those gifts. We always get hung up with tongues and interpretation of tongues. And it's the one thing that is just the the thing that causes so much division in the church and I say listen if you don't like it then don't do it but don't trash down on people that do believe that because here's the thing do you understand they have the same heart as you do they want to see people saved they want to see people saved they believe in the word of God literally don't trash down on somebody do you think that that's what Christ would have us to do listen listen, if you don't believe in the gifts that's okay that's okay. Paul talks about that. He goes, listen, do all prophesy? Do all speak in tongues? Do all have, you know, the gifts? Every gift? No. It, it's, it's a rhetorical question. He's going, no, not everybody has every single gift. He says, but desire the, the most excellent. Desire, earnestly desire the most excellent. Desire the gift that is necessary for you to complete and fulfill the call that God has for you on a day-by-day basis. That's the gift that you need in your life. You pray for an interpretation of, or you pray for a, a dialogue or a dialect, I'm sorry, of, of maybe Russian. Maybe you don't speak Russian. But man, you run into somebody who's Russian and you're really desiring to preach Christ to them. I would say, pray for that ability. I don't know. Is God going to give it to you? I don't know. In as much as I don't know when God's going to give a gift of healing or a gift of miracle, I don't know. But we pray for him. We pray for him because that's what he's called us to do. But we do it based out of love, not out of showing off that, look at me. 
That's never been the reason for gifts. It's to draw attention to self. It's always to point people to Christ and to draw man to Jesus. Never to, to self. That makes sense? Father, thank you so much for today. And Lord, I pray that as we look at these, this passage and we understand the context of love, that we also consider gifts of the Spirit. We're not done with it. We, we've got a few more studies that we'll talk about the gifts of the Spirit and we'll deal with them as we, we move through. But here, here's the thing, Lord. I pray that whatever it is that you desire to give to us, call it the gifts of the Spirit, call it the empowerment of the Spirit, call it whatever we want to call it. The question isn't necessarily what it's called. The question is whether or not we're operating in the fullness of the Holy Spirit in what it is that you desire to do in and through our lives. And I don't believe that there's one passionate believer that would ever combat that that desire in another Christian's life. I just want to be all that God wants me to be. There's no way to come down on a believer in that way. And so Lord, I pray that we would take our maybe preconceived positions that we brought in here or that we're leaving with and pray, Lord, that you would help us to become the men and women that you desire us to be in spite of our preconceived ideas. May we always look at your word in a fresh way, in a new way, in a way that every single time we open up your word, we ask God for your Holy Spirit to move in our lives, to become the man, to become the woman that you have desired us to be to fulfill the purpose that you've placed us on this planet for. No more bickering. No more arguing. Lord, may we operate our own lives to bring a smile to your face that we would be pleasing to you, O Lord, that we would be used up in these last days, fulfilling all the plans that you have for each and every one of our lives. Empower us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. Baptize us afresh. May we go out of this place with a a desire to see mankind saved. Not to win an election battle argument, Lord, but to see someone saved. That we would be able to truly see our true commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ, sitting on the throne. May we go out and preach that into all the world, knowing that you are with us even to the end of the age. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word.